Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Good morning to you all. Good morning here in the building. Good morning to those who are joining us online. Thank you so much for being with us. I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm not much of a football fan. That's a, um, it's a really terrible thing to admit, basically... Being a football fan is kind of like your key, one of the top two key relevance facts that one has as a vicar, and you're supposed to play it early on, and everyone thinks, oh yeah, well, he's all right. Uh, I'm not. But this week, this week I am. Uh, I've got the football fever, like everyone else. Um, I've been poring over the sports news lines just to feed my frenzy. One thing I've noticed as I've done so, I wonder whether you've spotted this, is how just like we did for the World Cup, we're all falling for manager Gareth Southgate all over again. People just love Gareth. Now, what is it we love about Gareth? Well, there are many things, but I think for a lot of people, it's his humility. There was a photo back in 2018, perhaps you remember it, taken just after the penalties in in that England versus Colombia game where we won. It was a massive result, but the first thing that... Gareth did was not to punch the air and run around shouting, but to find those Colombian players who had missed their penalties and console them. It was a deeply humble and compassionate thing to do. And it was one, of course, for those who know the story, born out of his own experience of humiliation when he missed a penalty back in 96. Now, that kind of humility is deeply attractive. If you've joined us for the first time today, we're we're in the middle of a sermon series uh, looking at the ancient book of Daniel, and today we're going to be looking at chapters 4 and 5, and we come to look at two journeys of quite the opposite of humility, pride. They are, in many ways, unusual journeys, journeys of extremely powerful figures in the uh, ancient Near East of the time. But on another level, their experience speaks to every human heart. And I'd like to take some time with you uh, this morning to learn from them. And more than that, actually, to share with you how God's dealings with them, I think, teach us something about the ultimate humble king, Jesus Christ, who is the answer to all human pride. So we're going to have a look at two journeys of pride. Uh, I'm going to ask Claire to come and and join us because it's quite a long passage Um, Claire's kindly going to read it to us in a couple of sections. We're going to begin uh, with chapter 5, verse 1, with a look at a new king, not yet mentioned in this book, King Belshazzar. He's taken power some years after King Nebuchadnezzar. By this time, the Babylonian Empire is in its last throes. Uh, As it's going to transpire, this will be Belshazzar's last day in office. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. 
While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they couldn't read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale his nobles were baffled. So here begins a story of astonishing pride. The Babylonian chronicles of the time uh, tell us that Cyrus the Persian had already defeated the Babylonian army not 50 miles away from the capital. And here is how King Belshazzar responds. National emergency, a great big show of decadence. He gets together a thousand nobles Lots of wine, lots of women from massive knees up. But it's not just the feast today for tomorrow we die kind of attitude that's in view. It's his blasphemy. He's gone to the trouble of going down to the basement and picked out the, the goblets which his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had confiscated from the Jerusalem temple. And the idea is that these holy objects, which were once part of the worship of the God of Israel were going to be reduced to just sloshing banquet wine along and fueling bad jokes. And of course, through them, the God of Israel too was being made a joke. It was an astonishing show of pride. But then comes the writing on the wall. The king's pride is stopped in its tracks. And in fact, it is almost comic what happens. If you've been reading these chapters with us, we have this another miraculous message. And yet again, all the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners, minus Daniel, are called. And yet again, the king asks for interpretation. And yet again, no one has any clue. And yet again, it occurs to no one that perhaps Daniel, the guy who they all know has the spirit of the holy gods in him, the one who can give the word of the all-powerful God into the situation, yet again, no one even thinks of calling him in. You could almost feel Daniel sort of sitting outside the, uh, the courtroom, muttering under his breath, here we go, how long is it going to take them to work this one out? Oh yeah, would you like me to come and join? Yeah. And then again, even as we look at it, in the comedy, in, in, the, in, the, in the kind of crass comedy of the, the moment, it's quite close to the bone, isn't it? Made me think of the many times I've faced some really, really tricky situation where I need wisdom. And I'm sitting there going, oh, I just don't know what to do. I don't know exactly how I could go about this. It's taken me days of worry and stress before finally I thought, hang on, what does God's word say to this? Perhaps I should go and see what he has to say. But I digress. Back to our story. 
Eventually, wonderfully, someone does remember. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding, and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? I've heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they couldn't explain it. Now I've heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck and you'll be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Your Majesty, the Most High God gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. Here is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then, at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom, 
at the age of 62. Thank you so much, Claire. Well, what are we to learn from these verses, these two journeys of pride? Well, I think they are an illustration of the ways of God. Do you remember how Mary, Jesus' mother, sang, God has scattered the proud, but has lifted up the humble. God has scattered the proud, but has lifted up the humble. And Daniel 5, if you like, is a little exploration, a little example of that truth. First, God scatters the proud in Nebuchadnezzar. The first king, the one that came before Belshazzar even, we see the pride of self-sufficiency. Daniel says it there as he relates to Belshazzar what had happened in verse 18. He said, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. In other words, everything King Nebuchadnezzar had had was only from God in the first place. But King Nebuchadnezzar, he couldn't see that. Now, you can read more uh, in the whole of chapter 4. I I advise it. It's great, great stuff, a great yarn. Um, But I'll give you a little bit of a snapshot. Chapter 4, verse 30, uh, we're told how King Nebuchadnezzar is walking around on on the roof of his palace in Babylon. And you get the sense he's sort of, he's just surveying all he can see, looking at the glory of the city. And he says, "Is is not this the great Babylon that I have built? My royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. You hear it. Nebuchadnezzar wants to take credit for everything around him himself. But Daniel says, chapter 4, verse 17, the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth. And he gives them to anyone he wishes. And he sets over them even the lowliest of people. And then as if to illustrate this point, God immediately takes away Nebuchadnezzar's authority. It's a bit of a strange account. I don't know whether you've read it before. Nebuchadnezzar seems to go a little bit mad for a while. He ends up running around. The dew gets him wet in the mornings. He's running around like a wild animal and he's chased off. He's literally scattered by the people. And so God scatters Nebuchadnezzar in the pride of his self-sufficiency. I wonder whether we're ever the same Do we ever look at our lives and see it all as the work of our hands? That's the pride of self-sufficiency. That's one type of pride. Then in Belshazzar, we see another type of pride. The pride of opposing God. Daniel says in verse 22, You, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself. Though you knew all of this. you You knew what had happened to your father Nebuchadnezzar. Instead, You've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. So Belshazzar's pride is that he opposes God. Now sometimes opposing God looks really obvious like Belshazzar's feast. Sometimes we can do it much more cleverly. We manage to look quite respectable in the process. But at the heart, it's the same kind of thing. It's it's those moments when we have God in, in our mind and we know what he wants and what he requires. But we say in our hearts... Ultimately, it's my life. I I will do with it as I please. I want you to keep out of it, God. That's the pride of opposing God. So we've had the pride of self-sufficiency, the pride of opposing God. And and that's not the only thing with Belshazzar. Along with it comes the sin of idolatry. It's there in the end of verse 23. 
Daniel says, you praise the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hands your life and all your ways. It's an example of idolatry. It's when you worship things that aren't God. Now, when you put it like Daniel does, it does seem like a pretty silly thing to do, doesn't it? What nonsense. What, what nonsense uh, to be completely absorbed in wonder at things that have no power in themselves and then ignore the one who made them and made us and keeps us all alive. I can say uh, wonderfully that having met a number of you so far, uh, I can confirm I have seen not a single shrine to any silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, or stone in any of your houses, which is a, which is a great start. But actually, perhaps idolatry for all of us is a bit closer to home. My problem is gadgets. I love gadgets. Um, I was thinking this week about all that happens when I get a new phone. And I spend hours researching it. And, and, then I, and then I get it and sort of carefully take it out of its box, reverently. And then I start setting it all up. And I go into all the menus and you know, explore what's there. And, and I'm telling myself, this thing is going to be genuinely life-transforming. It's really going to do me good. But who am I kidding? It's a pile of silver and gold and other rare earth metals. It's plastic. It has no love for me. Now, most of you, I'm sure, are much too grown up to do that kind of thing and idolize electronics. But even if that's you, idolatry, remember, takes on all sorts of shapes. We can idolize relationships. We can believe that a relationship that we have or that we wish we had will definitely, without a doubt, ultimately answer all our greatest needs. We can idolize the perfect home and pursue it with every ounce of our being. Or we can idolize comfort or we can idolize our careers and we can live only for the the gods of workplace kudos or, or promotion. You can idolize a ministry. Idolatry is is what happens whenever we take a good thing and we make it a God thing. And so often, idolatry, I guess, ultimately emerges out of pride. And we see that in Belshazzar, don't we? He's lost sight of the God who holds in his hands our life and our ways. Well, what happens in that situation? God scatters the proud. Just as with Nebuchadnezzar in Belshazzar's case, God scatters him. Many, many tekel parson, he says. And when you first heard that, I'm sure you knew exactly what was going on. God writes on the wall. And if, if we spoke Hebrew, it would sound rather cleverer than it does in English. It's basically a play on words. Uh, and essentially in those words, God is saying, look, I've seen your attitude. And I'm going to judge you. The kingdom's going to be divided up. It's going to be given to the Medes and Persians. And of course, Belshazzar, it turns out, will die that very day. God scatters the proud. Now, I realize that truth, God scatters the proud, is, is, is not the most encouraging one. It feels heavy stuff, doesn't it, in a sense? But before we move on to the really good news that's still to come, let's not miss the important positives even there. The original readers of Daniel lived in tiny little Israel, a kingdom well past its prime. It was under the control of frighteningly powerful foreign overlords. And we too might feel like them, helpless, vulnerable, 
Perhaps you're under a harsh boss at work. Perhaps you feel the victim of an oppressive system. Or, or as a Christian in an increasingly alien culture, you feel you can't do anything. And we may be inclined as well as them to think that we are in the hands of those powerful authorities alone. But as Daniel said in chapter 4 verse 17, the most high is sovereign over all the kingdoms on the earth. The most high is. And he gives them to anyone he wishes. And he sets over them the lowliest of people. So here we are. Whoever stands over us They're only there because God put them there. And over them stands the Almighty. Now, that's not always obvious. Sometimes in life we do see figures uh, like these Babylonian kings, very publicly humbled. But sometimes the proud and the oppressive, they just seem to get their way in life and they, they get away with it. But even if we don't see their comeuppance now, one day when their days are up, when Christ returns or, or, or God will call, call them to account, that will happen. The reality is that sooner or later God does scatter the proud. But second, God lifts up the humble. God lifts up the humble. And he does it with Daniel. Don't you love that line where the king says to him, look, interpret this message and you know, I'll give you a purple outfit, I'll give you a golden chain, You're going to be number three in the kingdom, Daniel. You'll just love it. And he says, you may keep your gifts to yourself, and you can give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. It's wonderful humility. Daniel is not sucked in by the bling. And of course, ultimately, he will outlive his master. So we see that humility in Daniel. We actually also see it in the life of King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, he'd he'd ruled um, like the world was his own possession. But then God had humbled him. It had taken a while, apparently seven years, that he was running around um, like a mad animal. But in the end, he suddenly got there. And he says, uh, it says, verse 21, he came to realize the most high God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth. And he sets over them anyone he wishes. That was Nebuchadnezzar's great light bulb moment. And then, as chapter 4 again relates... Nebuchadnezzar actually gets restored to his kingdom and he's lifted up again. In that way, God lifts up the humble. And again, it may be like that in our lives too. The Lord may lift us up, but it may be a kind of eventual lifting up. Sometimes he humbles us first before he lifts us up. Sometimes we're taken up so by ourselves, it takes for God to deprive us of some really precious things to us of status or success until we come to our senses and and then we we put him back in the rightful place in our lives so God lifts up the humble and we see that in Daniel we see it in Nebuchadnezzar and finally of course we see it as Christians in the gospel of Jesus Christ perhaps you're you're new to the Christian faith well you could say If you were looking for a summary of what Christians believe, it's kind of this. God scatters the proud and he lifts up the humble. There are two ways to live. We can be proud. To be proud in biblical terms means to live out a life in which we identify ourselves as the captains of our own fate. The masters of our own destiny. 
We believe that we are strong enough, we are the self-sufficient heroes of the world. But to live that way is to set ourselves against God, the God of heaven, to deny the one who gives us life. And Jesus taught ultimately in, in eternity, that way of life, that, way, that proud way of life that says, I'm the boss, will only meet with God's judgment. But none of us needs to live that way. God calls us to live a different way, a wonderful way, a wonderful way for now and in eternity, to choose instead humility. Humility, which frankly is just being honest. Being honest about who we are, recognizing we're sinners, all of us broken, we're in need of God's mercy. And here is the wonderful good news of the Christian faith. God lifts up the humble. The humble who come to him saying, Lord, I'm not worthy of your, your mercy. I'm not worthy of, of your love. I'm not worthy to be called your son or your daughter. God lifts you up. If you're on the floor, if you're crushed by the weight of your sin or your weakness or your struggles, the Lord reaches down into your life and he says, Head done. In Christ I have saved you. And if we're willing to humble ourselves like that, he will take us in, forgive our weaknesses, our struggles, our sins, and elevate us, make us his sons and daughters. So as we close, I'd love to leave you with that choice. Perhaps it's one that you've never heard before, or perhaps it's one that you've heard many times before, and again, this week is just another time to live it out. Two ways to live, the proud or the humble. May each of us follow the way of our Lord Jesus and choose to be humble and so know God's lifting us up. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.